This evening's reading is from 1 Peter, chapter 3, verses 8 to 22, and it can be found on page 1219 in the Church Bibles. 1 Peter, chapter 3, verses 8 to 22. Finally, all of you, live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic, love us brothers, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you are called so that you may inherit a blessing for whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit, through whom also... He went and preached the spirits in prison, who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As we stand, we pray. Lord Jesus, open your word to our hearts now, we pray, and open our hearts to your word. We ask it in your name. Amen. Amen. I'll do sit down. As I said this morning, I won't say too much in church today about uh, that GAFCON that uh, you were very kindly praying for me uh, in my attendance uh, in Nairobi uh, last week. Uh, but I will say a little more about the prayer fellowship on Wednesday. And uh, just one recollection from there to lead us into 1 Peter 3, uh, which you may want to have open, uh, page 1219. Uh, It is a dense passage, and there is much gold here, but we will have to do a little digging uh, together to unearth it. uh, One uh, of the memories I shall take uh, with me, I think, uh, for the rest of my life, was a very brief conversation that I had with a bishop whose diocese was in northern Nigeria 
Uh, we only spoke uh, for a few minutes in the tea and mandazi. If you don't know what mandazi are, think donuts, but even nicer, uh, a Kenyan speciality. Anyway, we were in that queue, uh, but it was enough for him to tell me a little of uh, his own context where he ministered. Uh, one example uh, will be enough to show the difference. When you have some controversial attack on Islam in the West, he said, like when that uh, American pastor publicly burnt a Quran, or when those Danish cartoons surfaced, well, then, when it comes in the news, uh, the Muslims in my diocese form a mob, come and burn our houses, burn our churches, burn our shops, and many of us are martyred. We went on to speak uh, of how hard it was to respond, uh, not using Peter's words, but this conversation was in my mind as I came to this passage, uh, to respond to evil with blessing. And that's what Peter says that God's people must do. And that brother uh, and the brothers and sisters in his diocese, and I met several in those uh, sort of situations, uh, face the reality of a passage like this. And it's called to be makers of peace when uh, your enemies uh, are trying to take your lives and burn you out of your houses. Uh, And it shows uh, the gospel difference uh, that it makes in those extraordinarily uh, difficult areas Uh, for our fellow Christians, for all of us to some measure, uh, to follow Jesus Christ. And if you're here this evening as one who knows uh, and loves and is seeking to follow him, you'll know that what I'm saying is true. To do that uh, always invites some measure of pushback uh, from the world around. Uh, It often comes from an unexpected source. Uh, It uh, will often be verbal, uh, but it may also uh, involve those uh, subtle ways that the English have of rejecting people uh, and letting you know their scorn uh, for what you believe and stand for. Uh, But certainly as we hear a passage uh, like this tonight, which is uh, living as followers of Jesus uh, and living with the opposition that creates, I hope we will find some encouragement for ourselves. But uh, can I also suggest that one very positive way of responding would be to lift in prayer those brothers and sisters uh, who face the kind of opposition uh, that is more than scorn, but that actually seeks to endanger their very lives and well-being. This is a Bible passage about suffering. Not uh, suffering in general that comes to all of us in a broken uh, and fallen world, uh, but the suffering that is the experience of Christians to varying degrees simply because we are Christians. Doubtless there is much here that will encourage us uh, if we're suffering uh, in the general way of a world that is dying. Uh, But there's particular encouragement here to hold fast to Jesus when you find that opposition comes when you seek to follow him. Uh, As Peter's brother, Apostle Paul, uh, puts it, this is uh, the inevitable uh, result of seeking to follow Jesus sincerely. It has been granted to you, he says, on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Where there is faith in Christ, there will be suffering for him. And that theme runs throughout uh, Peter's first epistle, but it comes uh, here to the surface uh, very much uh, in this latter part of 1 Peter 3. Uh, And if you just look at the opening uh, verses here, verse 9 uh, assumes that we will be insulted and treated uh, evilly. Uh, Verse 14 assumes uh, that we will suffer uh, even when we're doing what is right, that there will be a, an unjust or an unjust uh, nature to the suffering uh, that comes. Uh, verse 16 uh, describes its character as uh, often verbal, uh, those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ. Some of us 
are very conscious even in recent months uh, of uh, others uh, opening their mouths against us. And we know it's just not true or fair and that actually the only reason they're doing that is because we're holding fast to Jesus Christ. Well, this is how to live in that reality is what God's word says to us uh, this evening. Noah, who is mentioned uh, in verse 20, is such a good example. Uh, there's a, a, a 16th century uh, depiction of uh, the eight going into the ark, making it ready there, uh, because we are one with him. He was a man who suffered ridicule for his faith in God's promises. And Peter says, as we follow Christ, look to him, we'll come to him in the latter part of the passage, uh, for he is one in the faith uh, with us. How are we to live then in the face uh, of such antagonism that comes to us simply because we follow Jesus Christ? Well, that's the question which Peter gives uh, answers to in these verses. Uh, three phrases uh, which I hope will uh, help to summarize uh, his teaching to us. First of all, uh, act in love, verses 8 uh, to 14. Act in love, speak in hope, live by faith. Uh, they're the three headings uh, for us. Uh, it is unlikely that our suffering uh, will be as direct or immediate as that of my brother uh, in northern Nigeria. Uh, we had others at the conference who uh, had been kidnapped and tortured. Uh, many had been martyred uh, in that country and many others around the world, especially when the church is on the front line uh, of the Islamic world. But even for us, the New Testament and Christian experience is clear. It has been granted to us not only to believe on Christ, but also to suffer for him. And the world's primary weapons in our experience uh, may well be those more subtle ones of words and attitudes, uh, but nevertheless we need to be equipped if we're to respond rightly to them. So firstly, verses 8 to 14, how do we respond? Act in love. It's easy, isn't it, or relatively easy, uh, to love those who love us. It's not that complicated uh, to get along with someone who already agrees with you. And that's a good thing. Um, we should love those who love us. We should rejoice in the peace that comes from being with those we agree with on the big issues of life. But Peter's words here, like those of his master uh, upon which he models them, speak of something different. The consistent calling to be loving whatever the action and attitude of the person who is dealing with us at that particular time. And that's hard. That takes the grace of the Lord Jesus and the Spirit of God. It takes great mercy for us, for we will often fail and fall. But it is our calling. And he begins within the household of God, the church. Now, the church, by its very nature, draws people who are very different. Uh, different cultures and backgrounds, different uh, social groupings, different everything. Uh, one of the other things about the, uh, the Nigerians at the conference is they have no idea about queuing. And it's so annoying to the English people uh, when you've formed an orderly queue. I mean, gosh, we had an empire based on queuing. Uh, and they just have no idea. They barge right in. It's hard at that point. It's a silly, trivial example. Those differences, many of, uh, many times magnified uh, and far more profound, are, are here among us, here among us in the family uh, of God. And the only thing that unites us ultimately is our common submission to Jesus Christ uh, as Lord. And that means we have to work hard at loving one another. We'll get on to loving those outside, but let's start Within, verse 8, we have to uh, live in harmony uh, with one another, uh, he says here uh, to the Christians, and he says it to us. 
We have to work uh, literally at being of one mind. And that's hard because we have many different ideas and things upon which we feel strongly. And it takes humility and effort uh, to bring ourselves together uh, under the revelation of God, under the scripture uh, from which God speaks to us and rules over us. To have our minds transformed uh, so that together we find that unity that comes when we sit together under the lordship of Jesus' words. And even then, when we're seeking to do that, uh, within the church, we will often disagree uh, on many things. Living in harmony with one another, uh, accepting one another, well, that takes great grace. As we live in harmony, so also uh, here is deep brotherly love, rejoicing with those uh, who rejoice, being sympathetic, uh, and so weeping with those uh, who weep. What a great testimony that Michael was able to uh, stand before us before and uh, and know that the brothers and sisters were standing with him in prayer uh, as he uh, seeks to encourage his brother through this most difficult uh, of times. That's what we're meant to be like. Uh, Doesn't Peter say it here? Be sympathetic, love as brothers. And so we have that care uh, for each other, the compassion uh, we show to one another uh, when we're uh, facing those hard times in life and the humility before God and before each other that holds us together as one people. Now, these are the marks of a real church. These are the marks of those who are truly being made new by the Spirit of God. Doesn't it take us back to Jesus' familiar words, familiar and piercing words? By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Act in love within the fellowship. But then Peter moves on, verse 9, uh, to the way in which we treat those who are not in the church, not living uh, as Jesus' disciples. Well, in fact, they may be in the congregation, but they're not living as Jesus' disciples, or he may have in mind those who are simply out there in the world. Do not repay evil with evil, or insult with insult, but with blessing. Because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. Those are powerful words, aren't they? They're uh, counter-intuitive and counter-cultural. When evil is done to us, when we are are insulted, how we long for uh, justice or just revenge, frankly. Peter says, no, that is not the way of the Lord. You're treated with evil, respond with blessing. You're insulted, respond with blessing. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, the Lord Jesus said. And here his apostle is just applying that for us. And it has to be uh, that way, because at the very heart of the gospel, uh, that we'll remember later on as we take the bread and wine uh, that takes us back to the cross, is God's love for his enemies. That is for us, who in our hearts uh, rebelled against him, were dead in our sins. And yet though we had defied him and rejected him, Yet he reached out to us in love. A love of the the father for his uh, prodigal son, uh, welcoming us back. uh, Not for any deserving of our own, but rather uh, far from weighing our merits, simply pardoning our offenses. And though we had responded to our creator with evil, though we had insulted him, yet the gospel says he longs to bless us, to forgive and redeem, uh, that we may know his blessing in eternity. So Jesus teaches us to pray, doesn't he? Uh, Forgive us our sins, and we forgive those who sin against us. 
We cannot pray the first half without the second. The gospel is God loving his enemies, and therefore we who believe the gospel, then we must also model that, acting in love even towards those who hate us and who desire to hurt us. Psalm 34 puts it, as Peter quotes from verse 10, if we truly love the life that God gives us in the gospel, if we would live the good life he offers us in Christ, well then our tongues need to be restrained. They're the things that go first, aren't they, when we're hurt and insulted and let down by others. They unleash in a volley, perhaps only to our nearest and dearest, or maybe more widely. The tongue is the place where that evil that is done to us is most quickly responded to. And Peter says, no, we must turn from evil. We must do good, seek peace, and pursue it in our words that come from hearts being made new. I'm not saying any of this is easy. I don't think Peter is saying it's easy either. But this, he says, is how to live close to the God of the gospel. The God who loves his enemies and therefore the God who loves us by having that same love, cultivating it uh, for those around us, however they treat us. This is how to live close uh, to God. His eyes are on the righteous, his ears are attentive to their prayers as the psalm uh, continues. We're uh, saved by the grace of God in Christ, of course, but that grace transforms us so that our words and our hearts and our actions that may more and more reflect those of the God who loves even us. Without that sort of genuine response of faith, well, then none of us will see the Lord. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And if we respond to the evil done to us with evil, well, then the Lord will turn his face away from us also. And when God's transforming love, by contrast, has captured our hearts and made us our own, well, verse 13, who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, even then you are blessed. Peter means, I think, that of course, opposition will come to you when you seek to live like this. Hopefully it will be minimized by a a gracious and loving attitude uh, towards our brothers and our neighbors. But even if the response is contrary, If God is for you, if God is determined to bless you, and even if your neighbor curses you, uh, well then, he will still be there to bless you. So hold on to his blessing. Uh, Hold on to his view of you and act in your relationships, uh, always in love and never responding to evil with evil. Second, verses 14 to 17, speak in hope. Act in love, speak in hope. Uh, in hope. Let me read these verses again. Do not fear what they fear. Uh, do not be frightened. Uh, but in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Uh, always be prepared to give an answer uh, to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, or literally fear, uh, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. I think it's striking that in a passage that we often turn to when we want help to know how to witness to our friends is actually in the context of suffering for our faith. That's often the context where the Lord would use us to witness to the reality of Jesus Christ. It's one of the times when our witness, if we're faithful, will be the most clear. 
If others around us see uh, evil that is unjustly done to us, and yet our response is one of blessing. What a profound example that is of the difference that Jesus Christ has made. Nevertheless, perhaps the best way to uh, illustrate what Peter is saying here uh, is to remember how he did exactly the opposite in almost every respect when he denied the Lord on the night he was betrayed. Peter speaks here uh, not as one who's always got this right, and that certainly encourages me because I know I haven't either. I've more often got it wrong. Uh, But just as Peter was renewed uh, and set on his feet again by the Lord, uh, well, so we can be also. Do you remember the account uh, on the in the Passion narrative uh, after Jesus' arrest? Uh, the Lord is taken to the high priest's house. Uh, Peter follows at a distance right up to the courtyard of the high priest. And uh, this in Matthew's account is what happens next. Uh, Peter was sitting out in the courtyard. A servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said, but he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. And he went out to the gateway. Or another girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you're one of them, for your accent gives you away. And he began to call down curses on himself. And he swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately a cock crowed. And Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken before the cock crows. You will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Well, Peter on that night uh, was doing exactly the opposite in almost every respect, as I say, to what he now commends Christians to do today. He's not doing it as a hypocrite, but as someone who discovered the renewing grace of the Lord, uh, and I guess more than once. But on that night, Peter was afraid. He was afraid of being identified as a follower of Jesus, afraid of the ridicule and perhaps worse. He was afraid of people, afraid of the two girls, uh, first of all, just young servant girls. And yet he was terrified even of them. Uh, And certainly he was when the larger crowd uh, came along on the third occasion. Again, I I mention that not to be hard on him. Uh, Which of us would say we'd never faltered uh, in our own witness uh, to the Lord Jesus? I certainly could not say that. And don't we know the paralyzing effect that fearing people and fearing what they think of us, never mind what they might do to us, but just what they'll think of us, has on our words. Peter was afraid of men, and so he did not even confess that he knew the Lord. Friends, the Lord himself will help us to so fear him that we are delivered from a fear of man And therefore we can speak of how we do know the Lord. That's really all that is here in these central verses. Do not fear what they fear. Don't be frightened as they are. Rather in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. He's quoting from Isaiah 8, which says this more fully. Do not fear what they fear. Do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. Remember those words of Jesus? Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. 
it displaces uh, the lesser fear of human beings and of what they think of us and what they'll do to us and what they'll say about us when we're out of their uh, earshot. Uh, we displace all of that with the fear of him who is our creator and Lord. And we'll discover that when we fear him, it's not a, a slavish fear. Uh, it's not a br- brutal thing. That's what it is to fear human beings. Uh, no, rather it is that the fear of Christ, the fear of him who is gentle and humble in heart, uh, liberates us, enables us to open our lips to speak the truth of the one we know as our loving Lord and beautiful Saviour. It liberates us to declare Jesus is Lord and no longer to be afraid of what people will think or say. Always be prepared, he says, to speak like that. Always be prepared to do the opposite of what he did on the night that Jesus was betrayed. He said three times, I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. All that is required of us. If we think uh, we can't answer those terribly difficult questions uh, that come to us and uh, we're afraid that we'll be uh, just bowled out middle stump, actually all that is required is that we say, I do know him. I do know Jesus Christ. He's forgiven my sins and he can forgive yours also. I do know Jesus. He's real. He's the Lord. And one day we'll meet him and we need to be ready to do so now. And because he lives, I have hope. If you were here in the morning service, uh, as we pray, your kingdom come. And that holiday scene, he's coming. He's Lord. And one day uh, he'll transfigure our suffering with a glory we cannot yet even begin to contemplate how wonderful it will be uh, in that age of the resurrection when all things are made new. All he says to us here is be ready to confess that you know Jesus and that he is the ground of all your hope. And uh, yes, do some work on those big questions that come. Uh, Be prepared. Uh, Don't let it floor you when it's one of the questions perhaps you ask yourself. Or perhaps you know that other people ask and maybe you could do a little uh, work in the scriptures or in talking to others or in your home group uh, on how you might begin to answer some of those questions. But at the very least, be able to say, I do know him and I know he loves me and I know that he is the truth. Be prepared uh, to speak uh, in hope. And then thirdly, uh, and finally, live by faith. Verse 18 through to the end. Uh, Verse 18, uh, Michael said amen about every three words during it. Uh, It's a wonderful summary, isn't it, of uh, the gospel we believe. Uh, And uh, here, if you're looking for one of those uh, one-sentence summaries of everything the New Testament is about, here it is. Uh, Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. And all the people said, Amen. Absolutely. That's the wonder of the gospel, and that's what we celebrate uh, as we take the bread and wine uh, a little later uh, in our service. This is our testimony. A righteous, innocent one, the perfect Son of God, uh, stood in my place and bore the penalty of my sins, my dirty heart, my wicked words, my evil actions. He stood in my place. He bore the penalty in his own body on the tree in order to bring me to God. 
Interesting, isn't it? Peter gives us that uh, wonderful testimony just after he's told us uh, we have, with the Lord's help, the ability and the opportunity and the responsibility uh, to speak of the hope that we have. This is our very hope. And this is what enables us to act in love to the loveless and cruel and to speak in hope to the hostile and indifferent because we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and who gave himself for us. We live by faith in him. Well then Peter continues in verse 18 and this is the bit that often doesn't make it onto the fridge magnet uh, when we have the first part of the verse. Uh, He, Christ, was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit, through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah. There he is, uh, while the ark was being built. Well, what is he talking about? There are almost as many interpretations as there are commentators, uh, but again, just remembering the context, I think, will help us to see what Peter is saying. He's just been talking about living for Jesus in the way we behave towards others and the way we speak, our testimony, the hope we have in Jesus. And this new lifestyle is practiced in a hostile world and grounded in faith, uh, with faith in Christ crucified. Well, uh, Peter uh, seems to say, uh, when you read your Bibles, uh, who strikes you pretty early on in the Bible story uh, as someone else who lived by faith. Uh, Someone else who uh, sought to preach righteousness to his own generation. Uh, Someone who walked with God and had a a real testimony uh, of knowing the Lord. Someone who was ridiculed uh, for his faith in a hostile world. Well, Noah fits that description pretty squarely. Uh, And the extraordinary encouragement that Peter gives uh, is that as Noah preached God's word to his disobedient generation, it was Christ himself who preached through Noah in those days of the flood. Uh, the spirits in prison, uh, I think, are best understood as those uh, human spirits who are now in prison, but who were then alive uh, in the days of Noah. Uh, when they were alive, they heard Christ's call to repent and believe through Noah, uh, who was not only a boat builder, but a preacher. But they disobeyed it. It was uh, pretty difficult to hide a ship that you're building uh, a long way from the sea without a cloud in the sky. So uh, Noah had to give some sort of account for the hope that he had, had to give some sort of explanation to his contemporaries. But his contemporaries rejected the message. They ridiculed the message and they ridiculed him. Or rather, uh, says Peter, they rejected Christ, who was in the Spirit, preaching through Noah, even in those days. And having disobeyed God's word, not even perhaps recognizing that it was God's word, those contemporaries of Noah have become spirits in the prison of hell, awaiting their final condemnation. And so if we follow that logic through, and I cheerfully admit that at half past seven on a Sunday night, it's slightly dense, then this is what it means for us. When we say to someone in the... Uh, the workplace this week or whenever we have an opportunity uh, some simple thing about how we know Christ and we have hope in him well then it is Christ himself who is speaking those words by his spirit through us and if we're able to share uh, the full gospel with people uh, so that they have an opportunity to understand it well then if they accept it they're accepting Christ himself there and then they've 
heard his words through us. An extraordinary privilege we have. But equally, and this is the emphasis in this particular verse, if they reject us as we share Christ with them, well then, more truly and awfully, they're rejecting Christ himself and choosing, like the contemporaries of Noah, to head for the judgment of God in the prison of hell. We have the aroma of Christ about us. Now, to those who believe, it is that sweet perfume of life. But to those who reject, it is the very aroma of death. And the point is, not that we're better or more deserving. Peter continues, in the ark, only a few people, eight in all, there they are, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge, or, or better, an appeal for a good conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand, with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Oh, it's only uh, through the grace and the lordship of Jesus that we have any hope or any message to share. What an encouragement that is to us as we're sent out to share it. Now, when you're building an ark in blazing sunshine, your neighbors openly scorning you, when you face opposition for your faith from everybody, you're the only believer in your family or your workplace uh, or your college, how do we do it? How do we live like this? Uh, Or certainly not by natural courage uh, or a strong will. Uh, No, it's by faith in the promises of God. It's by believing that uh, his warning that a far greater wrath is coming upon the earth than merely the ridicule of other human beings. It's confident that the provision uh, of salvation uh, is as profoundly and uniquely available to us in Jesus Christ as it was in being on the ark when the whole world was in flood and there was no safety anywhere else, just as there is no safety in eternity outside of Jesus Christ and away from the family of those who he's saving. You may expect that not many will join you. There were, after all, only eight on the ark. But you may be confident that God will finally save all those who've called on Jesus as Lord. Imagine if you were one of those eight on the ark during the long days of the flood. There may have been days when you were more or less confident in the Lord and his good purposes. But Was it the fluctuating nature of your faith that kept you dry and alive? No, it wasn't. It was God's provision of a watertight ark that kept you safe and alive. It's not the fluctuating nature of our faith or the inconsistency of our testimony or the way in which so often, shamefully, we do not respond to evil with blessing. For we are all on a journey, all being in need of being made new. It is those uh, walls of the ark, it is the blood of Christ that keeps us safe and carries us home, that our salvation rests securely on him. And the mere outward rite of baptism, the uh, removal of dirt from the body, Peter says, doesn't uh, do anything. But when it's attached to the inward reality of faith, the appeal to God in Christ's name for a clean conscience on the basis of his cross, and his resurrection, his finished work. Well, in that sense, of course, baptism now saves you. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved because our salvation rests on the solid walls of the ark, 
on the blood of Jesus and his empty tomb and not on our own faltering efforts to follow him. So don't give up. Act in love this week uh, when others come to you and say or do things that are hurtful and wicked. Act in love. Speak in hope. Don't keep your mouth shut out of a fear of human beings or a lack of confidence or worry of what others may say or do to us. Speak in hope. I know him. I know he's my Lord. And above all, do it all by faith in the Son of God. For to this we were called that we may inherit the blessing of God from the hands of his triumphant Son. Let's pray together. Father God, we began by thinking about some of our brothers and sisters who suffer so dreadfully in other parts of the world for their faith in you. We pray, Lord, that these words would be powerful for them, that you would keep them close to you, safe on the ark, the salvation that is theirs in Jesus. And Father, please help us too, this week, to be loving and hopeful in our words faith-filled in all our doings. And we ask it all in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son and our Lord. Amen. Amen.